Dotnet Rocks, episode 1089, with guests Dominic Beyer and Brock Allen. Recorded Thursday, January 15th, 2015. And we're back. Indeed. How are you, sir? Ah, you know, no rest for the wicked, my friend. It's hither and yon. It's a new year. There's lots to do. I'm excited. I'm fine. You're fine. You were just down at Microsoft. Yeah. Well, you know, it turns out that if you do that every month or so, and it's only a drive for me, it's easy to do. Right. Good things happen. And it's, there's so, it's buzzing down there. It really is. I know that. You know, there's things are getting shaken up a bit, but um, that's good for everybody on Absolutely. our side of the world. Yeah. Had a com- well, you know, we're heavily immersed in conferences, so I talked to the Ignite folks, I talked to the Build folks. Like, yeah. I'm, this year's conferences are really going to be interesting, and I'm not sure what our roles are going to be, but I'm looking forward to being involved. Yeah, I, we'll do something, that's for I'm, sure. I'm expecting. Yeah. Well, I got something really cool. Uh, I'm going to spend a couple of shows here uh, uncovering some Visual Studio gems that you may or may not know about, but uh, that I think deserve better know framework status. Love it. Go ahead and roll the music. All right, buddy, what do you got? I got Code Map. Code Map? Code Map. This is a, a one of those killer Visual Studio Ultimate features you may have never heard of. Or if you don't have Visual Studio Ultimate, yeah, this is one of those reasons why you might nudge you toward it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so when you're debugging, you can click on this code map button in the Visual Studio toolbar, and you see a visual tree of your code pop up on the right. It's sort of docked to the right right of your code. And it gives you a visual map of where you've been, where you are, where you're going, and keeps you in context. Wow. As you jump around in and out of classes and stuff, it it basically gives you a little visual tree. Of where you're, where you are. Now, is this just built into Studio, or is there something you have to download? No, nope, built into Visual Studio Ultimate, and nice. it's one of those things that if you don't know it's there, maybe you've seen the button, and you know, every, everybody's sort of got their habits. You know, with Visual Studio, you get in there, it's like an old comfortable chair. You know, for sure. discovering new things is low on the priority list for most of us. So, yeah. So if you go to tinyurl.com/slash/codemap. There's a uh, a video on Channel 9 here. It's from March 2013. Okay. And David Starr uh, just briefly introduces it and shows you how to use it and how cool it is and just walks around debugging some code and you see the tree change. It's pretty cool. Nice. Just one of those things you, you may not have realized you have yeah. if, you're, if you're running Ultimate. And if you're running Ultimate, you should be using the Ultimate features. Like, you're missing out. You certainly are. All right, man. That's what I got. Who's talking I love to it. us? Grabbed a comment off of show 993, one we did not that long ago, June of 2014, with one Dominic Beyer and Brock Allen. Never heard of him. Nah, me neither. <laughs> but we were talking about OpenID Connect, which, you know, believe it or not, for me on the IT side of the fence, yeah. this is a huge conversation because with with uh, uh, Server 2012 R2 and ADFS3, although you're not allowed to call it that, you're supposed to call it Active Directory Federated Services for Windows Server 2012 R2, which I think's the longest name ever. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it's it? It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, you can get it out of your brain. That's the problem. Yeah. But it it combined. it's the point where 
OpenID and, and OAuth, the sort of open web technologies, can integrate effectively with Active Directory. Mm-hmm. And for, for us in the AD space, it's just huge. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost too profound. It, you, we're still figuring it out. Okay. We're very excited. Uh, but there was a great comment from Chuck Bryan on this show. And it, it was, to quote Ferris Bueller, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Mm-hmm. And the same can be applied to MVC Entity Framework and the ASP.NET membership services. Mm-hmm. I started looking at the new identity frameworks, and this show was a great jumping off point. I had assumed that the web administration features were still available, which we know they're not. But thanks to ThinkTexture, I have an alternative. Very cool. Yeah. Totally with you, Chuck. We're super excited about them, too, and they're back to tell us more good things. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NETrocks.com or in any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And that brings us to our guest. Dominic Bayer works as an associate consultant for the German company ThinkTexture at thinktexture.com. His focus is identity and access control protocols and APIs and how to apply them to real-world software projects. He started the popular Identity Model and Identity Server and open source projects uh, at thinktexture.com.github.io, which are now used by many developers and companies around the world. He blogs at leastprivilege.com and tweets at leastprivilege. Welcome, Dominic. Hey. And Brock Allen is a consultant specializing in .NET, web development, and web-based security. He is also an instructor for the training company Developmentor, associate consultant for ThinkTexture, a contributor to the ThinkTexture identity model and identity server open source projects, and a contributor to the ASP.NET platform. Welcome, Brock. Thank you very much. Now, um, just uh, where are you guys geographically right now? Dominic, are you in Germany at the moment? Yeah, I'm in, in Heidelberg, which is uh, south of Frankfurt right now. Very good. That's where I live. And Brock, you're in New England, right? Yeah, I am. I'm just uh, about an hour up the road from you in Rhode Island. In the Providence area? Yeah, Providence. Yep. All right, well, you know, the miracle of Skype. It's a wonderful thing. Where <laughs> did we leave off the last time we were talking about all this stuff? Hmm. I think, if I remember correctly, we were, we were like half done with uh, the, the new identity server. Okay. I, I think we met last time at NDC, right? Yeah, that's right. Yes. That, it was the show that I referenced the comment from. Yes. 993. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, actually we were half done with Identity Server 3 and and, um, and now we are pretty much done. So, <laughs> um, Well, let's, yeah. let's uh, bring everybody back up to speed about Identity Server. Yeah, so I, Identity Server is really, I, I started at, Identity Server, like, I don't know, like, uh, at least five years ago or so, um, where I wanted an alternative on the Windows platform, like an, uh, a security token service alternative to ADFS, because ADFS is pretty much like an, an extension to Active Directory, meaning it's pretty, pretty optimized for business to business scenarios and for providing authentication services for you know, company employees, really. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, um, it is hardwired to Active Directory, meaning you can only authenticate users which are in AD. Not and, so, uh, not so uh, anonymous webby. It's, it's not business to customer, at least. Yeah. yeah? It's, it's, it's an extension 
to your Active Directory. And um, the whole identity server idea really started, I mean, the very first idea was to have, you know, like, get, get some hands-on with the technologies. And then pr pretty soon it became clear that there is a need for having, you know, a token services for customers right and since you don't since you don't store your customers in ad um we fill the gap here really by providing something which is very similar to, i mean at least where we started off uh, which is very similar to adfs but backed by sql server for example uh, or any really any data data store you 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 want to store your your customers in and um we basically started off with all of the WS star specifications like WS Federation and SAML tokens and WS um, Trust. And um, um, that, you know, that was going on for a while. And like, I, I guess two years ago or so, um, we realized that, you know, all, all of the, 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 the new stuff is happening in, in the web space, in, in, you know, web APIs and, web, uh, you know, like more modern style applications with JavaScript and, and these things. And, you know, uh, pretty much the, the, the WS star stuff was at, at, a, at a dead end here. Right. And that's where we, you know, we looked at our customers, we looked at what people are trying to do. And um, there, there were a couple of emerging standards uh, by the time, which was namely OAuth 2 and uh, even more emerging uh, OpenID Connect. OpenID, and, yeah. And they especially when used together, completely, you know, solve the problems of these modern architectures. So, um, mm -hmm. so we had basically, um, we had, we, we made a tough decision, like, are we going to kind of try to retrofit these new protocols into our, our old software? Or are we basically just starting from scratch again? And that's what happened, like, December 2013. Right. And I really don't want to spend the whole time just rehashing what we did, but it, there, a certain amount of uh, uh, catch-up is required. So just give us the elevator speech about OAuth 2 and OpenID Connect mm. and how they relate to each other. So basically, when you're building a, a modern application, and with modern, I always mean like, you know, like the, the, the new style of, you know, web APIs, uh, native or web UIs in front of that, these types of applications, yeah, you have... Pretty much, you have two big problems to solve. One is authentication, and one is uh, API con uh, access. So, one the, the first problem is like you're writing an application, you want to know who the user is. The second problem is now you want to talk to an API um, on behalf of that user. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, OAuth is the protocol to talk to APIs on behalf of users or even on behalf of an application. So that's a, a slight variation here. But basically, OAuth is the protocol that um, specifies how to request these access tokens and how to use access tokens to talk to APIs. Now, it's interesting um, because when I think of OAuth before OAuth 2, I think of authentication, right? right. I mean, that's sort that's of what, a, yeah. But yeah, OAuth it, it's, 2 it's, is authorization, isn't it? It it is. Um, it's it's the, um, the the authorization framework. I think it's called the, the spec. Um, it was never about authentication. It was really about um, how do I delegate identity to a to an API. If okay. You like. yeah? yeah. So um, there's there's a lot of confusion about that. And actually, I'm pretty happy that the OAuth working group just recently um, uh, published a paper 
which in, in, in full length describes why OAuth can't be used for authentication. Okay. <laughs> um, and I'll give, give you the, the link to that for, you know, right, for sure. your website. Um, so the authentication thing was a problem because everybody started to build their own little extensions to OAuth to, to, you know, to, to solve the authentication problem, yeah? Right. Um, and with, you know, varying success, I would say, yeah? <laughs> success in the sense of security. So many of the companies, uh, even the big ones, and I guess the most famous ones were, you know, Facebook, for example, they got hacked because it turns out authentication protocols are not trivial to implement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, so the OpenID Connect or the OpenID Foundation, basically, um, um, the 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 goal of that thing is to add to to create an authentication protocol um, on top of OAuth. OAuth two. And on oh yeah, OAuth two. Yeah? yeah. And uh, basically, they they they're using OAuth and the the, the legal uh, extensibility points of OAuth two to uh, to add the extensions to it to allow secure authentication and the, the really nice side effect is now that since now um, OAuth takes care of the API access part and OpenID takes care of the authentication part and they are based on the same foundation you get both features in a, a single protocol okay and that's and, and that's the sweet spot for building modern applications because now you don't have to do one thing one way and the other thing a different way and uh, you can just combine that and um, get authentication and access tokens in one single network round trip and i remember really well the last time we talked about that we we kind of said like this is this kind of novel because all other protocols we like kerberos for example mm. they made it really really hard to combine these features and uh, opend connect plus oauth and whenever, whenever i say opend connect i mean plus oauth right um solves that really nicely and uh, it, it's obvious that we need some sort of server to uh, you know, to help us with this stuff. And there are there other servers, I mean, other than the the mm -hmm. ones we've already been talking about for the enterprise, but are there other servers in this space besides identity server? Or did you were you just sort of like out on your out on your own raft as it is saying, hey, you know what? Somebody should do this. Or were there other things are there other things out there? So um, I mean, for .NET, we are pretty much the only out-of-the-box kind of solution, if you like. Yeah. Wow. Um, but um, again, a, a link I will give you uh, is there's a page um, maintained by the OpenID Foundation, which lists all of the implementations they know about um, okay. of OpenID Connect and OAuth. And if you look at that, basically, you know, Java, Python, Ruby, yeah. uh, you name it, they exist. Um, um, both open source projects and commercial products. Wow! And that's that, that's pretty cool. I mean, um, also we are we are taking part in in interop testing between these uh, these different um, uh, projects uh, and and products. And uh, uh, even if OpenID Connect is, I think, just roughly one year old. I mean, in the sense of being a, a standard, yeah, mm. uh, the adoption has been phenomenal because more or less everybody agrees that like you know this is the way to go. And has Scott Guthrie seen it? <laughs> I mean, doesn't it seem like uh, this is a natural fit with Azure? Well, Azure AD has OpenID Connect support and OAuth support as well, and we uh, interrupt just fine with them. Yeah, great, nice. 
And I, I actually just grabbed the OAuth 2 site for the show notes and saw that uh, the Think Texture Identity Server is on the list of implementations. Sure. And good. Yeah, as well it should be. So how does this relate to the OpenID OAuth stuff we see from the old days where you log in with Facebook or log in with Twitter? Like, how does that relate to all of this? So, um, um, not, I mean, that is, <laughs> I mean, from, from, an, from a protocol implementer point of view, that's an implementation detail. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, the, the mission of OAuth is to allow, um, a client, uh, so so that's interesting because you know whenever you uh, when when you start reading the specs, there's 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 this thing that might throw you off a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. They talk about users and clients, right? And you know, coming from an enterprise background, for me that was always the same thing, yeah. Yes. Um, because of a trusted subsystem kind of mindset, <laughs> yeah. Um, but in um, in in OAuth and OpenID, they talk about users and clients. So so users are the humans, if you like, in, in mm-hmm. your system, and clients are applications. Yeah. So what OAuth is about is is allowing a client to request an access token on behalf of a user. Okay. Okay. And um and the thing that it requests the access token from is called an authorization server. And how the authorization server authenticates the user to, you know, to make an informed decision about, you know, who's the user, who's the client, um, and to which resource he's going to talk to, that's an implementation detail. That could be a local SQL database, that could be Active Directory, that could be Google, Facebook, whatever. Right. Um, but OAuth itself doesn't specify that. That's, nice. that's, that, that, that's how the authorization server chooses to implement the authentication part of it, yeah? But on the user's side, there is this idea that I don't want to create another identity. I want you to use one of these identities I already have. You can. Um, so we we totally support that. Other other uh, you know um, authorization servers support it as well. But um, depending on what kind of application you're building, you know, uh, having having the ability to allow things like Google logins might be a feature. Right. Uh, um, or sometimes you're building applications where actually, you know, uh, the, the, the application, you know, the, the company that runs the application wants to kind of own the identity or, you know, the application identity at least. Yeah. So, yeah, right. I mean, it, it, it's, it's really like um, it, it, it depends on what kind of um, application you're building. Generally speaking, um, for the, you know, the, the, the consumer app kind of thing, yeah, it's right. typically considered to be a, a feature if you can bootstrap the trust between you and your user using a third-party authentication service, maybe. Right. But, but I, I think the, the, what just got illustrated there is the common confusion about OAuth not being about authentication. So right. just to, to mm-hmm. say a different way, what Dominic said, so imagine you on your iPhone, you download some third-party Twitter client, right? That's kind of the classic scenario for... Uh, for OAuth is the idea is that you you just download some somebody's random app onto your phone and it wants to use Twitter. Don't do well, it. Well, you don't you, you don't want to enter your <laughs> Twitter credentials into this random app, right? Right. That's what OAuth is about: is giving this application that you don't trust. It's not from Twitter. It's you know some Joe Blow's Twitter client. Don't do it. <laughs> don't install and, uh, it. Get that and, off of my machine. Yeah, and well, you don't you don't trust it, so you don't want to give them. You don't want to type in your Twitter username and password into that right. thing. Yeah, so that's what OAuth is. Is is it's a way for you to give this app that you don't really trust a little bit of permission 
to use Twitter on your behalf. That's right. the whole delegated authorization. Well, I mean, you, 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 you even might trust that app. I mean, we are also having a lot of customers, you know, where they build the, they build the app, they build the backend, but still you want to have a central place where you, you know, you can, uh, this, this, this authorization server can also be right. seen often like a traffic cop, someone that knows about the user, someone that knows about your client application, someone that knows about the APIs you want to talk to, and then can act as a, you know, a, a, as, as in between to orchestrate, you know, the, the token creation, the trust, like which client can talk to which service, uh, authenticate yeah. the users and these things. That's yeah. your, that's yeah. your center of the universe of business logic right yes, there. Exactly. And yeah. n not business logic, maybe, but at least um, of uh, everything that's identity related to the right, user, and, right. and also you know, depending on the implementation, also cross-grained authorization as well. Yeah, uh, so that's a good point that Dominic makes. Though, is that so? While maybe originally the spec or the RFC, you know, the, this whole protocol was designed for this kind of consumer third-party app thing. Enterprises are definitely using this internally, even though you know they're not doing any kind of consumer-facing stuff. Even internally for their own internal business APIs. And you know the, the the reason why this became so popular is, is because pretty much um, using this style is pretty much the only thing you can do these days to you know to do API communication. And since APIs are ruling the world, yep. because apps apps are ruling the world, yeah. So that pretty much took the the world in storm, having this style of uh, token access. So modern security for modern apps. Exactly. How how did, what does it look like to implement this? on you know on your server i mean is it any more or less difficult than it was before are there are a lot of hoops is it is it so you're talking about identi identity server itself yeah let's talk identity server if i you know yeah, if i have so, a website and i want to you know install it and get it going what, what am i up, yep, what am so, i up against so that's one of the couple of interesting um architectural points about identity server three so in the past we had identity server two and a couple other server uh projects that people Uh, that were open source that people could use and, and incorporate. And so for this version, we decided to rewrite from scratch rather than try to continue those existing code bases. And for me, they're kind of like two main uh, architectural decisions that we made that I think are, are really nice. Uh, one of them is that we are basically Owen hosted now. Yeah. Um, that's one of the reasons for the rewrite. So we are now, you know, Owen and Katana uh, hostable, um, which is the new hosting Uh, approach for you know ASP.NET and VNext, you know ASP.NET 5 going forward. So I could host uh, it with a WPF app. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could. You can. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and that's that that's actually exactly the idea is that you know you can still host this in IIS if you want to, of course, and a lot of people are going to and they have been. Uh, but Identity Server 3 then is you know host independent, and so you could could deploy it in a NT you know Windows service or uh, even interestingly enough. Um, at the MVP summit a, a few months ago, Dominic and I were there in Redmond, and we actually even got uh, Identity Server running on uh, Linux. Um, so we actually got it up and running, and we were running in, in actually, it was ASP.NET vNext running on Linux. So that's one really cool uh, architectural point All about Identity Server 3. Amazonians will be very happy about that. There that, you go. You know, that, that, that was actually even uh, uh, one of the... the the big design goals we had. So it, it, when we spoke about, you know, what do we want to do? One of the main things from day one was we want to be hosting independent because we have many, many people that, that use Identity Server which want to bundle it with their own software, like, you know, like just provide an endpoint that is inside of their software, like, like an embedded uh, uh, OAuth server or OpenID Connect server. And that 
you know, runs a, as an anti-service, for example. They, they, they can't um, demand to have IIS on the machine where their software is running. Okay. So self-hosting was like a high priority from, from day one. And since, you know, MVC couldn't do that at this time, so we had to, you know, reinvent a, lo a lot of things, actually. And so um, configuration-wise, you just like point it to a table with my users or something? How do, you know, if I've got a... So how, how do I implement that? Actually, that? Yeah, that actually leads to the second kind of major architectural uh, point about identity server is that in in the past, again, because we have uh, definitely a bit of experience uh, building these servers in the past, is that you know we had extensibility points in the past where people could you know extend things, and we designed and anticipated that. But there was always like that ten or fifteen percent mm. that people had to you know kind of customize, and and for those uh, older projects that we worked on the answer was you had to take the source code and change it and to, to tweak it the way you wanted. So now that we have a few years of experience uh, of this under our belts, mm -hmm. we have extended our, our, um, our extensibility points. Um, and I think we've anticipated, you know, kind of like 98% of the most common uh, types of customizations that people want to do. So identity server as a... Um, framework, if you will, is really like a toolkit for allowing developers to extend it. Um, like I said, we've anticipated m so many of the most common scenarios that we've seen in the past. Yeah. Um, and um, and to date, of all of the the, the clients, uh, you know, our customers using it so far, uh, nothing that they have wanted to do in terms of requirements. Um, has required them to modify the source code. We have anticipated their you know needs, and we have the right extensibility points in place. So you so, use provider the provider model for uh, identity provider, like you know Facebook, Twitter, all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, that's 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 exactly the idea. Is that we have abstractions for you know all these different things that people would want to do. So for example, you you talked about the actual users and credential you know uh, validation. That's an extensibility point. So you can plug in whatever provider you want. If you want to plug in the new ASP.NET identity, that's there. Um, if you want to use Membership Reboot, that's there. If you want to plug in something else, you can you know, write to that custom extensibility point, uh, and then you work within our token service. Okay. Um, just uh, as an example of another extensibility point, a very common use case that we've had in the past is where, um, for example, users log into your system and um, maybe... Um, you, your, your application has a, a terms and agreement, you know, kind of like a legal document that somebody has to agree to before they can continue into your app. And so um, that's been a very common requirement in the past. And so, like I said, in the past, people had to modify our source code to, to get that to work. So now we've anticipated that sort of scenario as well. So when you log into Identity Server, we have the ability for you to sort of uh, uh, take over the workflow of a user hmm. and They've logged in, but then you can kind of redirect them over to your part of your app, have your custom stuff happen, whatever that is, whether it's, you know, oh, you've decided they need to change their password or you've decided they need to check this checkbox to agree sure. to your terms and conditions or whatever it is. And then you can reroute them back into identity server, back into our workflow, and then we can continue and take them off to the application that they were originally trying to log into. So the idea here is that... Um, you know, you have your centralized login system, and you would uh, rather intercept this workflow there uh, rather than in every one of your applications. Okay. And, you know, uh, again, one of the design goals we had was I'm pretty much 
early we, we, we coined this. We, we want to have a, a token service framework rather than a token server. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, um, because we realized that A, you know, you talk to 10 people using that and you find nine different ways how they want to use the, the the service yeah and uh, the, the other, and that's actually the you know the reasons why you know some people can't use the the commercial off the shelf products yeah um like like for example Azure AD uh, they they have different you know problems to solve they they're like a massive multi tenant token service they can't give you the ability to to run custom code on their service, for example, yeah, because they would be way too, you know, dangerous, yeah, yeah, right. Um, so, so we, you know, we said we don't want to compete with these massive, you know, cloud services. We rather want to, you know, uh, focus on on um, customizability and extensibility, and uh, that's the reason why, you know, many people. I mean, the interesting thing is, yeah, that um, um. We released a really early preview um, around the time we we, we last talked. Yeah, yep, and yep. from from that point on, it was it, it was phenomenal that the feedback we got. Yeah, I mean, this thing wasn't even like in beta one status. It, it was like preview one. Right. <laughs> the like, that, that's exactly what we need. Yeah, and uh, I think yeah, in in the last fourteen months, we we uh, worked on that. We we got more more feedback, more. Uh, pull requests, more issues, more everything than the whole lifetime of the previous projects. Yeah, so it, it, it seems that this kind of hits hits the, the the sweet spot for what most people try to do these days. Yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to establish myself as the token idiot in the room. <laughs> <laughs> And trust me, I got questions about tokens. But first, it's actually time to give away a Sync Fusion Essential Studio to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before we tell you who won today, is your big data strategy causing you headaches? Well, ditch the complicated configuration and jargon and pump up your development with the only easy-to-use big data solution for Windows. The SyncFusion Big Data Platform installs quickly and is packed with samples to help you get up and running in 15 minutes or less. Check it out at SyncFusion.com and start working with big data in under 15 minutes. And even if you aren't working with big data, you can take advantage of over 500 SyncFusion controls to help you build stunning applications. Or you can broaden your skill set with the free ebooks SyncFusion offers on over 40 topics. So download free trials and free ebooks at SyncFusion.com. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Kevin Denon. Congratulations, Kevin. Oh, I hear the clappers. The clappers. Yes. Yes, the clappers. Yes, Kevin Denon just won a SyncFusion Essential Studios. Big pile of awesome from SyncFusion. If you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the fan club. And we like to ask our guests, of course, Dominic and Brock. Dominic, we'll start with you. If you had $5,000 today to spend on technology, what would you be buying? <laughs> I think I, I I I still give you the same answer I gave you last year. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I would want to buy this camera that i'm you know 
Yeah, coveting. <laughs> Looking at for, it's a it's a, a Leica, very special camera, nice. very expensive. Uh, not really very sensible to buy one if you're not a pro. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Indulgent but beautiful. The Leicas are are gorgeous. They are. Yes, yep. they are. Yeah. Okay, Brock. What's what's in your list? Yeah, that's tough. I'm not much of a gadget guy, but uh, I was thinking about this. So I would either get some sort of high tech wine cooler, beer cooler, some I don't know, uh. somehow involve that, hmm. uh, but maybe a little <laughs> bit more boring and a little bit more practical. I might I might actually um, you know turn to the dark side and and invest in some of this Apple stuff that I hear people uh, actually spending money on. So crazy talk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't yeah. own uh, any of those products, so uh, you know maybe to see what they're like. It's good stuff. The MacBook Pro 15-inch fully loaded is the best laptop I've ever used to run Windows 8. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, me yeah. too, actually. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. And you really can spend five grand on it. I think part oh, of yeah. the problem these days is that the, there's not a lot of high-end laptops anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they've all gone into the $1,000 range, and they're, they're just restricted. And Apple happily lives at this higher level of hardware. You know, there's a few exceptions, but not yeah. many. Yeah, there's a, mostly the gaming laptops, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're all racing to the bottom. Yeah, to, to some degree. There's a couple of, like, the Dell workstations, the stuff we call Dellasauruses. And, uh, <laughs> you yeah, and you the, had and one the, of those, didn't you? Yes, and the Leno- the big Lenovo W-Class. They're they're pretty torquey boxes. I won't say that thing sucks up a lot of power, but once we were at an RD meeting in Los Angeles, and Richard plugged in his laptop, and poof, all of L.A. was out without power for, for hours. True yeah, story. That was a good day. That yeah. was a P4 laptop. That was back when you actually had little legs on your laptop, so it wasn't actually on your lap. It wouldn't burn you. It's funny. The lights went out, and everybody looks at Rich, and he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm good, but geez. Yeah. All right. I want to jump back into this, because I'm, I'm just hoping that folks aren't totally overwhelmed here. Uh, maybe we should set a scenario. You know, a guy currently using ASP.membership services wants to start to get some of this integration, maybe no AD involved, because I think that's, you know, a sort of specialization as well. How do you get started? Okay. So, um, I mean, first of all, you you need a use case for that, yeah? And, right. uh, and what what I typically tell people is that, you know, um, I, I kind of compare that to, you know, back in the days, Windows for workgroups versus Active Directory. Right. <laughs> um, when you only have a single application, and you you know you don't even really intend to you know to grow, then why would you install uh, a, a, a domain for that? Right. Yeah? But as soon as you have like two applications on a, and you know going forward it will be more, then you should start thinking about an, an identity infrastructure pretty early. Yeah. Right. Because you know I mean um, now with the newer MVC versions, it was pretty easy, for example, to build in you know, third-party authentication in your applications directly, like Facebook and Google, they have now pretty out-of-the-box support for that, yeah? Right. But um, 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 when you have two applications, you're going to build that twice, yeah? Right. And, uh, and what, what people often don't know is, yeah, that um, um, Google and Facebook and so on, um, 
you know what you're relying on is that this this external service gives you like a, some sort of user identifier yeah so when when uh, when when you log in twice in into the same application using using Google you expect that Google gives you back the same user ID so that you can you know correlate data that you store locally with that user right um, so when you now create two Google applications yeah like um, we, um, in on the Google page uh, you will get back different IDs because Google protects the privacy of the user. So when, uh -huh. you know, yeah, so basically when you're going to application one, log in with Google, you get user ID five. If you're going to application two, log on with Google, you get free. Why? Because Google wants to make sure that, you know, applications can't, you know, team up and correlate user data across applications. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, what you really want, if you have a group of applications is, um, a stable identifier for your user that is stable across all of your applications and that is stable regardless of how the user has authenticated. And that was one of the big um, design principles of, of Identity Server. Yeah? So where, regardless of how you log in, Identity Server always gives you, um, we, we call it the subject ID. Yeah? So it's basically a, a, a user ID that that will always be the same for the same user that will never be reused and will never change very much like the SID in Windows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, so when the user logs in with uh, a local account, you get um, a user ID. He logs in with, um, with a Google account, for example. He, he also gets a local user ID because what these templates often missed is the part that you don't stop just by doing Google authentication because after the user has come to your system, you want to make him your user because typically your business model is not uh, around Google users. It's about your users. Right. And, and we basically allow you to hoist all that logic, how to uh, associate external users with your internal application to the token service level. So we do all the hard work of getting that external identity, turning into your identity, copying over the claims, giving them a chance to, you know, to insert what Brock just mentioned, to insert registration forms, stuff like that. And from that point on, this user will always be the same user ID. And regardless of how many applications you connect to the system, this user will be the same in all of your applications. And that is like, you know, the, the big use case we've seen with many, many people. Yeah. And, and so it's not so much single sign-on across the internet, but at least single sign-on across your app suite. Right. I mean, Identity Server is not the enterprise identity management product. Yeah. Uh, right. We see we see Identity Server much more at the application level. Yeah. Maybe mm -hmm. if, um, so. Um, you have like a, a set of applications. Uh, and you want to have single sign-on across all of them, put Identity Server in front of it and federate Identity Server with your enterprise management product if you need that. Right. Yeah. Um, we support, you know, uh, WS Federation and, uh, and OpenID Connect uh, going, you know, upstream, if you like. So, you know, you could have like your own little universe of applications connect to the same Identity Server and that in turn offers federation to, you know, one, one, one hop to, to the next bigger system, yeah? Right. I mean, there, um, there are so many ways how people use it. Some people use it as their own single STS for all of their applications. Some people just use it for a product, yeah? So, like, you, you have a product and you have, like, you know, um, a couple of APIs and a couple of client applications. Some of them are, you know, desktop, some are mobile, some are browser-based. And they, they use just that to, um, to or orchestrate the security between that set of applications. Some use it for multi-tenancy. And again, the, the OWIN 
comp you know the, the, the Owen hosting strategy we've taken makes it really easy because you are so flexible. You can run it on your dedicated server. You can run it in embedded in your in your business server if you like. You can run it in a different data center. You you can run multiple servers on the same machine. So there are so many options. Um, I mean we. Again, pretty pretty much a design goal is that if if you get started, you can host Identity Server inside your application, and once you you know once you outgrow that, you can just put it into a different virtual directory, and once you outgrow that, put it on a different server, and then put right. it on a load balancer. Yeah, yeah, and you can see you get to a point where I've certainly seen this happen with AD as well, where you just get enough traffic and enough users that it's a big deal, and and being able to contain that is important. I, you know, I always squirm a little when we think about backing identity information into a, a regular database. Mm -hmm. But these days, all that stuff's going to be encrypted for me, right? I'm, I'm going to be safe. <laughs> yes, you're always safe. <laughs> uh, thank you, Dominic. I feel so um, much better. So, um, again, that's extensibility. It, mm -hmm. it, 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 it totally depends. Um, um how you want to do it i mean we don't have to have to go to a database it could be an arbitrary system um um depending on which you know i mean there are also like uh, we support the two most popular uh identity management libraries out there which is asp.net identity and membership reboot um they don't do encryption i think at least not by default yeah um but again um that is totally something we have anticipated. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, um, I mean, there are also newer systems popping up. Um, I think I just read about Amazon Cognito these days, which is like a, a profile store in the Amazon cloud, which, you know, you can connect to your OpenID uh, server. Um, right. So, again, um, we don't want to be prescriptive here. We, we give you the right extensibility to do it. Right. I mean, it's up to you to be responsible to do it properly. And again, think of this, yeah, um, our, uh, um, I think, I mean, especially in Europe, yeah, most of our, you know, customers, uh, if you want to call them, they, they, um, they run that thing on premise. It's, right. it's not, uh, I mean, if you want to go to the cloud, obviously, you have to think about these things much, much harder than if you're running it on premise. But at least in Germany, the cloud is not that much of a thing <laughs> mm -hmm. um and we, we we still have uh dmcs and data centers and these things and and you know our the database servers in that case often are not on the dm i mean you know like typical architecture identity server is something that you would uh, run on the dmc for example but uh, everything including profile data private keys that stuff runs in a, in a different layer right you know? any issues uh, any issues running in a container like docker or google containers uh, google cloud Good question. Um, so the thing is, um, um, we we have people running it on on today's mono, um, and I think that runs fine in a container. And we did early testing with ASP.NET, you know, five, which runs fine in a container. Um, I haven't tested it myself because, you know, um, right now we are kind of doing the finishing touches and afterwards um, we'll, we'll focus on, on these kind of things. Yeah, but uh, Theoretically, I've, there's, I've, there's nothing there that you can think of, though? Um, no. Yeah. Um, no. That's and, and that's definitely one of the, the, the things you want to look at for, for, you know, different deployment scenarios. Right now, actually, that's a good point. 
is uh, even if, if this thing is called identity server, don't think of it as like you download and install Exe. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's a it's it's a NuGet package actually. Um, we 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 worked pretty hard on making it as easy for a developer to get started. It's um, so we, we we're using for example even if if we have a a, a number of dependencies, uh, we use this tool called IL Merge to all boil it down to a single DLL. So basically, hmm. um, nice. a developer needs a single, you know, has a single DLL he has to download and can get started. And we don't conflict with any other stuff he might have in the same app domain, stuff like that. Um, I love so, IL Merge. Uh, so that's, um, again, one of the things we, we were planning for. And um, so, yeah, um, if if whatever you're hosting on runs in a container, we will run too. Sure. Well, that's great. It's good that you're not doing any kind of weird interop stuff or anything. I can't think of anything that would break a container like a Docker or whatever, as long as it's running the OS, you know, essentially, or what looks like the OS. Yeah. But, you know, those are those implementation details we talked about. <laughs> so what's uh, what's next for uh, Identity Server? I mean, you just released it and stuff, but you must have a, a you know, working on the next thing. Yeah, I mean, um, um, it's actually fantastic to be honest. It, it, it's the first time we really used like the the open source tooling out there. Mm. I mean, we 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 did some open. I mean, we to be yeah. I mean, we we, we had source code in the open before. <laughs> yeah, but um, <laughs> but uh, I think this time we really made use of um, of all that OSS. Um, Lumming out yeah. there. So um, on GitHub, we were, um, as I said earlier, I mean, like in in fourteen months, we had over seven hundred issues. Yeah, I mean, issues in the sense of like feedback and and discussions right. sure. and you know bug reports and 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 feature ideas and stuff like that. And um, I I can actually, uh, by the way, that, that's a good point. Um, encourage everyone that is interested in the topic come come to our GitHub repo, take part in, in the discussion. Where we have a chat room, for example. Uh, so one, I mean, it, it, it's amazing how many, uh, what nice um, uh, um, ecosystem is around GitHub these days. Like that, there yeah. are companies providing you know free chats. Yeah, there there are companies providing um, um, continuous integration services like AppVea, for example. There are uh, companies providing um, uh, Kanban style project, man uh, project management um, tools like Uboard, for example, and and they all plug into your GitHub repositories. So it's been really, really nice to use these tools. It's been really interesting to, you know, to be able to interact with the people using our stuff and, and um, giving feedback. So um, that's been pretty interesting. And um, yeah, so one of the one of the things you can do in 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 uh, on GitHub is 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 putting labels on issues, and one is called you know feature idea. Please discuss, and um, and um, the 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 milestone is like post RTM. Um, so um, right now, I mean, there are a couple of things um, that I'm thinking about um, since I'm leaning more towards the protocol side of things. Yeah, so there there are two big. Um, Big specifications out there that, that 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 are not done yet, but which we are looking at closely. One is all ab, um, about um, um, impersonation and delegation, mm -hmm. and one is um, about so-called proof of possession tokens. Um, so that that's a kind of a 
not easy to explain topic, but right now, <laughs> yeah. um, there are there, there are basically two types of tokens out there. One are called bearer tokens. That is pretty much the standard implementation these days. And uh, there are proof of possession tokens out there. And you know, bearer tokens are, are pretty much like money. Yeah, if you lose money and I find the banknote, it's it's mine. I can use it. Yeah, right, right. Um, <laughs> Whereas proof of possession tokens are more like credit cards, yeah. So if I lose my credit card, you know, I'm I, somebody that finds it might still need a pin or my signature uh, to use it, yeah. So they are on their own; they are not useful enough, and and that is often. Um, I mean, double WS security had that feature, but it was very very complicated, yeah. But um, these proof of possession tokens are providing a second layer of defense if your transport protection isn't working, for example. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's something we are thinking about. That's not the, you know, that, that wouldn't be, you know, uh, the, the next dot one version of things. Yeah. But that's something sure. I'm thinking about. Thinking so about Brock, Brock what, what are you planning for? Yeah. I mean, uh, definitely polish on, on what we have. Um, we have a bunch of UI uh, work uh, need to be done still on the administrative side of things. Yeah, right. So there's, there's, so we have our core engine, if you will, working, but right now the configuration is, uh, there's no UI to manage the configuration. So that's one thing, just a simple UI for the administration. And that, you know, really is just backed by a database. So that's just a pretty simple app. Uh, the other thing I'm working on, though, is um, um, I'm continuing kind of where we, when, I, when we spoke last, about uh, ThinkTexture Identity Manager. Uh, and that's actually the tool that um, I think at the very beginning, you, you're um, uh, the person who had wrote, wrote in who had, was, was mentioning um, and so that's a, another UI tool for uh, an administrator or a, a developer to easily manage their users in the database. And so uh, I had worked on that before, but then again, we got focused on identity server, and um, I hadn't actually had a, a lot of time to kind of finish that off. And so that, that's actually what I'm going to be working on is finishing and, off and Identity Manager. What does it mean to manage an identity? Well, mm -hmm. I mean, it, that's the replacement tool for the old ASP.NET uh, you know, user administration tool. Right. Um, so, in other words, you know, you start from scratch and you have an empty database, and now you want to log in. Well, how do you create that first user? Right? right. So you need some admin type of tool, or like I said, a developer has to come in and, and seed it with that initial uh, data. So that's 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 why I think of it as kind of a developer tool. Just right. something to go and, and uh, pre-populate some, uh, you know, get some pre-population, do some manual correcting, that kind of thing, mm. rather yeah, than actually exactly. typing SQL statements. Exactly. The other <laughs> thing is, I mean, you need you need a tool like that because now with identity management systems, you know, you need to do proper password hashing and things like that, and so um, you can't just, you know, come up with that password hash in a SQL statement. Um, You're not doing MD5 actually, calculations in your head? <laughs> no, I think we're a little bit beyond that in uh, in our sophistication. So <laughs> I would hope. Uh, um, the uh, the other thing I was going to say is that some people are using Identity Manager as like their help desk admin tool. Hmm. Um, again, it's better than it's better than giving your admins, you know, SQL Server Management Studio to go in and, and update your users' first and last name in the database kind of thing. So Identity Manager can be used that for a little bit more of a production scenario um, as well. And I've been looking at the list of stuff going on on your GitHub repository. Is this where all the conversation is taking place? Yes, pretty much. I mean, there's, there's the, 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 the core, as we call it, yeah. Um, that's we, we, we try to focus pretty much on the issue tracker there. Um, 
And yeah, and there's also Gitter, which is um, a chat system that plugs into GitHub, which we use, um, you know, for stuff that, you know, people have just questions. And if we are around, we can answer them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. And, and it, yeah, I mean, clearly you and Brock are the big contributors, but it does look like you got a bunch of other folks that have been doing some things with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's on one hand, it, it's kind of hard because, you know, we, we, we spend so much time, yeah, uh, uh, with, you know, the, the protocols and all that stuff. So, so people are kind of, you know, be careful, yeah, trying, um, making changes. But yeah, I mean, we, and, and that's really good. Yeah. We have people that use it now for, you know, since the very early days and, and they know the source code now pretty well and, and, you know, find bugs and, and fix them. And, um, and, um, yeah, that's okay. pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it speaks to a live ecosystem. This is software people use and care about and ask hard questions of. Man, I thought I understood some of this stuff, but I couldn't answer these questions. It's crazy. <laughs> but it, it's exciting. And it's nice to see. I mean, you clearly, you know, you guys have been developing for a long time. You've moved into this modern open source model, I think, in a really healthy way. It's it's nice to see. Yeah, I mean, the other thing we did around open source is we were um, joining the .NET Foundation, which is um, yep. a Microsoft um, thing to foster the you know the whole open source ecosystem around .NET, and it's shepherding a whole bunch of Microsoft products that you use every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, one part is we we actually use Microsoft open source stuff internally for our stuff. I mean, like um, Web API is a good example. Yeah, um, we use internally Web API to you know to to implement our HTTP interaction, if you like. Yeah. Um, um, and um, so there are a number of really useful um, uh, projects on on this uh, .NET Foundation, and even like and more and more non Microsoft stuff as well, which I think is really important. Yeah, and uh, we we just hope. I mean, Microsoft is trying to you know to in- increase the visibility of of open source in in .NET, and we just hope that that'll work out. Um, and I think it, it it'll be good for for open source projects if they get more visibility and you know more adoption and you know um, more people will see it and more people will use it and I think um, that that's a, a really a chance yeah to 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 make .NET much more open source yeah yeah it really boosts the viability of of all these different projects the more people who know them and use them and can support them and you know know how to deploy them. All right, guys. So, where are we going to see you next? Speaking or or uh, gallivanting around the world? I think we're going to be in Oslo, June in Oslo. All right, I think so. Yeah, um, we 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 actually going to do. Um, um, it's it's pretty um, like the last two or three years now. We are we're doing this uh, workshop in in at NDC. Um, like um, it's it's actually quite interesting because um it's one of the uh, maybe the only conference i know that that doesn't have this pre-con post-con concept yeah they, right. they, rather, they rather do like two days pre-con which i i think is great because a post-con people are totally exhausted already yep, yeah that's right <laughs> um and and having a two-day pre-con gives you a chance to do two-day workshops yeah and given uh, the you know the the stuff we talk about uh, one day is often not enough days, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so, so again, um, if anybody wants to join us, uh, we are doing this thing again in Oslo the first two days. Uh, it's typically pretty f- much fun. Oh, it's a lot <laughs> of fun. We are talking about, uh, you know, identity, you know, uh, ASP.NET and uh, MVC and Web API and security and identity server and all that, you know, everything around that. 
that area and with beer. Um, yeah. Yeah. What? With beer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is um, a, 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 a big part of what we're doing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Keep being awesome and thanks for talking to us. It's great. Thank you. Thank All you right. both. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.